got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive? I got expensive, cause when is expensive? I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting down the stars. And welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Show for Closers. My name is Kevin Hill, and I am your host. As always, we're here in Global Supply Chain Week, so it's always exciting. We have a very special guest uh, to talk about global supply chains, uh, as well as Jack Echeverria. He is a Senior Manager of Global Logistics at Wayfair, and he'll be on in just uh, momentarily to talk about what we're seeing in the global logistics market, maritime market, domestic market, and also through the retail uh, supply chain. So it'll be a very interesting uh, topic. And we'll talk about how logistics companies, how steamships, how everyone uh, on the LSP side of the equation are kind of approaching um, deals right now. But first, let's start off with this. Something I read in... Inc. Magazine, stuck on a tough problem. Harvard Research shows changing just one word can help you find a solution. A modest but meaningful improvement with zero effort. There's not a lot of things in life where just changing one word will dramatically affect your outcomes, but Harvard Research found something. So what is it? It's by whenever you get stuck on a problem, by instead of asking, what should I do? change that one word to what could I do? Should is a very narrowing word. It it limits the the options and possibilities, and it keeps us stuck in our little box, if if you will. By changing that word to could, it kind of expands your options and your thinking, right? What could I do? I could think of a hundred things I could do. Which one will work? Well, I don't know until I start trying different things. So, Whenever you're asking, what should I do? It, it, it kind of, to, to me, it says, well, I only have one option, and that's what I should do. What could I do? I could do anything. So by changing that one word from should to could, Harvard Research shows that you can really expand. So if you're talking about prospects, you know, how should I reach out to this pros- prospect? You're trying to find the best option, and you don't know the best option until you start experimenting a little bit. So if you say, how can I, or how could I reach out to this prospect? What does that mean? How could I? I could email them, I could call them, I could show up at their front door. You could do a lot of different things. Uh, You could message them on LinkedIn, Twitter. You could start engaging in their posts. What could I do to win this business? You start really thinking and expanding your options. One of those options will usually work, but you never know which option it is which path or which method until you actually start doing it. So start whenever you come up against an issue or a problem, instead of saying, what should I do to to resolve this? What can I do or what could I do to resolve this? I I think you'll find the results to be, uh, be powerful, be powerful. You'll, you'll up your sales game, your business game, your life game. doesn't really matter. It all flows in to, to the one philosophy. So, with that said, um, I want to talk a little bit about global supply chains and the logistics market and what shippers are seeing. And I'm going to do that now with a Jack from Wayfair. We're going to bring him on the show right here. And welcome on, Jack. Always good to see you. How are you doing today? Good. I think you just saved my marriage with that. So, you know, I think after this, I'm going to start rephrasing how I speak at home. 
I, it's very powerful for that. You know, what should I do or what can I do? Right. It's, 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 a, especially it just where you never know what the problem to any solution is until you start doing it. It's kind of like right. marriages too. Exactly. No, I, I think it's always about your state of mind. And when I came into the industry, even if you can't do it today, it's, I can't do it now, but I can do it in the future. How can I, you know, obviously provide the best service, even if it's not conducive to the conditions now, how can I give, you know, people value? So no, I agree 100% with the research. And if it's coming out of an Ivy League school, how can you argue? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, how should I, how should I put together my supply chain? Right. Yeah. How should I? I'm trying to look for the perfect solution, but there is there are no perfect solutions. Yeah. You know, perfection is the enemy of profitability. How can I? You start kind of assembling different pieces, and all of a sudden you you find something that works, and you go with that, and you leave behind the things that don't work, and all of a sudden you're iterating into uh, something that 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 works, and it works because we're going to talk about supply chains as competitive advantages yeah. today, and you know, through that process, you find something that maybe is a competitive advantage. If it isn't, then you keep on working on it, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, I think that's kind of the mantra we've had at Wafer and the Cal State uh, logistics side that I'm on is we saw the value as a company in 2015, um, investing into our own supply chain and really controlling our own destiny, um, where it continued to escalate, where we started doing the land side services, we did the ocean um, services. So, like you said, how can I be more value to our suppliers and how can I be a better uh, vendor to our, uh, or a better uh, partner to our vendors? So, you know, that's kind of the mantra we have at Cascade Forwarding, with it, which is a part of the Wayfair team. And, you know, it's always about the customer experience. Yeah. And, and that brings me back to the should and could again, too. You know, yeah. if you started out with how should we develop our supply chain, you, you kind of go back and copy other retailers, other companies in the space. How can we, it opens up the possibility of, really creating your own logistics arm, taking control of that and operating it uh, in some respects like an LSP, right? Yeah, without a doubt. And that's kind of what we saw um, the value in is how can we become more entrenched with our suppliers? What are they looking for? How can we make their lives easier? How can we get the product to North America or Europe faster so their consumers could have access to it immediately. So that's where we saw a lot of the benefit is just the visibility that our suppliers are wanting, knowing what's going on with their shipment, if there's delays, if there's any customs issue. And it's the more you control, the more access and the good partners you have. I mean, that's kind of where the supply chain is a competitive competitive advantage. So that's what we really listen to our suppliers. We listen to uh, the ocean carriers, the landside procurement or, uh, teams, and just kind of saying, you know, not just on the supplier side, but how can we be a better partner for the, uh, the partners that we have. I mean, it's very cliche, but a lot of people hear, but they don't listen. And that's what we try to do at Wafer and Castlegate. Yeah, you're exactly right. A lot of people do hear, but they don't listen. And by taking control of the supply chain, uh, by, by doing it in this novel way, uh, it's a key differentiator, right? And it is a competitive advantage because you have capabilities that your competitors don't have. And you can exactly. get goods from Asia, from internationally, into uh, your warehouses, sold, shipped, delivered at a much faster and efficient rate than company X and company Y, company Z. Yes, sir. Yeah, and that's kind of what it is. I mean, for the segment that we're in, I mean, the consumers, I mean, nowadays with the internet and people have so many options and it's really going to come down to a low price point, good service and just... Mm -hmm 
having access to the goods. And I think that's what we learned from the pandemic is through the last two to three years, the you really need to control your own dusting. You've got to have the product available um, for consumers to get um, access to it. I think when the pandemic originally started, it's not that the inventories were low, but we just weren't expecting the demand for certain goods. And then you saw it kind of get out of the um, our fulfillment centers right away. And then we obviously had issues because of the pandemic getting it into um, North America and Europe. So it's it's really, we're trying to strategize, learn, learn take what we learned from the pandemic, understand the conditions that we're experiencing now and what will it be like over the next few years and how can we avoid obviously adding any additional costs that we maybe did incur during the pandemic um, while continuing to have solutions for our suppliers. Um, I mean, in the end, if we can't get the goods from the ports to the fulfillment centers, we're going to fail our suppliers and they're going to look for other solutions. So that's kind of where we saw this obviously data visibility and uh, speed um, to market for the goods. Yeah, you know, the pandemic comes comes along, you can't really forecast that huge disruption in the market. Uh, You go from really, uh, you mentioned not low inventories, but really just in time, lean, efficient, Six Sigma, if you say, um, uh, inventory levels to just a whole different world, you know, a whole different business model. Uh, during the pandemic, because part of the pandemic, you're just trying to get as much inventory over as possible because it's getting sold. Um, when we look at changes in how people view inventory levels, supply chain uh, through the pandemic, do you think we'll see structural changes that will last for a generation? Or do you think once everything calms down, people might revert back to the status quo? Um, certainly investor sentiment, investment pressures, investor press, pressures. Uh, what, what do you think? Or do you think it's going to be somewhere in the middle? We believe it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, you did see a pretty significant shift, obviously, with the um, some of the dynamics in the North America from the West Coast to the East Coast. Um, we do feel that it will go, you will see a structural, you will see some shift go back to the West Coast. But I do think companies like us have learned that you just can't have one entry point into North America or Europe that you have to have many solutions, especially when you're attacking the inland markets, um, anything to do with rail. So while we do feel that certain companies will continue to utilize the West Coast just because of the transit time and the rates, a lot of other companies understand that the cost that they incurred because of uh, port fluidity, uh, lack of equipment, so on and so forth, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really put pressure on people who have different entry points, if you may, um, to get to the Chicago markets, yeah. get to Cincinnati, get to KC. And then, as you said, the price point, what is most important? Do we need to get to the West Coast and we got to get it out to the consumer immediately? Or can we, you know, maybe maximize the East Coast and, you know, the transit time obviously being significantly longer? Do we feel that it's still going to get to the um, fulfillment centers and that customer in a adequate enough time and the savings would be there and less um, opportunity for hiccups to occur that could cause disruption in the supply chain? Um so we, we do feel like some habits are going to go back. I think also um, every company has a different consumer base and it's really understanding what do your consumers want and how can you execute it and how can you provide it to them where they, they don't see the difference if the transit's longer. Yeah, I think um, some ports on the East Coast or outside of, of LA and Long Beach saw market share gains. I think they'll give a yeah. little bit of that back, but I think at the, the end of the pandemic that uh, there's that they some part of that increase in market share is going to be very sticky. 
It is. I, I think the Gulf region is a good example where it's really gone up on the um, TUs. New York, obviously, is the largest um, port of entry right now, um, looking at it separately from LA and Long Beach. So I, I do think there's a lot of value. I think the East Coast, obviously, the, the population con- concentration is there, but the network is very concentrated also. So the rails and the class ones have been you know, investing a lot of um, money into um, expanding so they could do double stacks so and so forth to kind of penetrate those markets. But the West Coast of transit time is so attractive and just getting the speed to market is very valuable. So for us to get to Chicago, Cincinnati, um, the Canadian ports, I mean, we're going to continue to have uh, three entry points where previously, uh, pre-pandemic, we, you know, we weren't as um, diverse um, on the entry points. And that brings, if you have multiple entry points, that that brings in a whole new, you know, a whole new modeling of a supply chain, right? It brings in a little bit more complexity as you you build a a plan for the ports of entries, how to move inland or the the most optimal routes, which uh, entails... Right. I mean, it entails that it's going to be a little bit more complicated. There's there's going to be new analysis created and, and made and, and probably some technology or tools that will probably be invented and brought to market uh, to address those needs. Yeah, it's. I think it comes down to it's going to be more complicated, but the supply chain is complicated. I don't think there's a lot of visibility or the, the difficulty of getting goods from Asia to a market such as Europe, South America, North America, wherever you go. But you need, I don't think anyone could sustain the amount of friction that we felt during the pandemic again. I mean, I think some companies are going to feel very, I don't want to say confident, but, you know, I, you know, maybe they feel that they have better data points that they could predictively, you know, predict any issues going forward. But I mean, for us at Wayfair, we got to service the supplier, we have to service the customer. So, we don't feel that's the best strategy for what we do, but for other goods, they may feel it could be beneficial. But I also think the the data, just everyone has so much access to data now. Um, you, you can make educated decisions and you could kind of uh, become more nimble than you have prior. So yes, it's going to be a lot more, you know, it will be more difficult, but if you have good data, you have individuals that understand the industry, you should be able to be more proactive and reactive like we've seen. And let's hope we don't see a, a bigger shock to the system anytime soon than we saw in 2020 and 2021. I, I agree. I think there, um, you know, I saw one article today by Rachel about the owner operators. I mean, I think that's something mm-hmm. the um, people in the industry have to pay attention to. You've seen the ocean rates decline pretty significantly. You have seen the land side um, rates decline, but the, the cost of operating a tractor in both Europe and in North America, skyrocketing fuel, you know, continues to be pretty high on the cost for uh, parts for the trucks. Um, the lack of individuals going into the industry is making it where the rates on the land side aren't falling down um, as drastically as the ocean. And I don't want to say it hit a, hit a floor, but you are seeing the difficulty if the market doesn't come up and driver, uh, contractors can make a decent living. I mean, they're going to have to exit the industry and go into a different field. So that's kind of what we're paying attention to and just being a good partner and trying to express to um, not only the ocean caters, but the land side, what we're expecting. And uh, as you said, what can we do to be better? What can we do to make your life easier so we can drive down that price point? Yeah, the problem with find, finding a floor is that you can lie on that floor for, for quite a long time without exactly. <laughs> getting up again, right? Yes, um, sir. Yeah. You mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the ocean market. Uh, what are you seeing in the ocean market uh, here in early 2023? What's kind of the, the prognosis or the outlook uh, from your point of view? 
Yeah, it's we've all seen ocean rates fall. We do believe they're normalizing. Um, can it go lower? I, you know, it's, if I had a crystal ball, you know, I, I'd probably have my own show on this uh, on freight waves. Um, but we are seeing the rates fall. We do think they're going to normalize, and with congestion easing, um, especially along the uh, ports, maybe the rails are having a little bit more difficulty with fluidity. We do think they're going to hopefully maybe dip a little bit lower, but we think it's you know it kind of hit the bottom on um, what carriers need to operate. Yeah. And on demand forecasting, do you see, um, you know, let's talk about the economy as a whole. You, you see demand yeah. kind of uh, finding a normalization as well, like a, I don't want to say new normal, right? Or post pandemic yeah. or back into a more normal seasonality and, and functionality that, that we all experienced until 2020. Yeah, I I think over the next few weeks with Lunar New Year being over, I think you're going to really see how the imports are coming down. Um, we had, you know, we were very, um, we like the recent retail information that came out that it, it did grow. So that was great to see. So we, we are expecting more normalized demand from our suppliers and from our consumers. Um, but however, like you said, credit card debt continues to increase inflation. Um, while it is somewhat under control, it doesn't seem like it, we've kind of, hit the ceiling there. Um, you know, I think in Europe, obviously, uh, certain countries are affecting it more than others. So in North America, that, um, you know, in both markets, we're very positive um, on the future. And we do think it's going to be more normalized. Um, 2023 may be a little bit lower than people expect, but we are um, very optimistic, at least on the wafer side, and especially for 24 and continued growth for us. Yeah, 2023 will be uh, will be a strange and getting back into a more 2024, which should be normalized. Uh, when you talk to, you know, whether it's ocean carriers, or air carriers, uh, you know, domestic transportation, what have been some of the the, the, the changes in perspective or, or how they approach companies like Wayfair, you know, to, to do deals or negotiate? Uh, how has that changed? How are your, your, your transportation partners uh What's their outlook? How are they approaching sales right now? Yeah, it's relationships have always mattered to Wayfair and Castlegate, mm-hmm. but we are seeing a lot of providers want more exposure to multiple levels of our organization, just not at my level, not at my director who oversees our global and uh, landside procurement, but also on the C-suite. Um, so you are seeing companies trying to understand more, what does my customer do? What can they need help with? How can I provide value? So that's one thing that we've seen, but I think a lot of other companies are starting to mimic that. Um, not that we were the first to do it, but you know, I think we were one of the ones that really showed value to our vendors that, hey, it's just not what you could do for me, but it's got to be a mutual gain. Um, so that's one aspect. Um, also, I think you're seeing a lot on the ocean and on the trade side. Vendors coming in, they don't need all your book of business. Um, they want business that's more predictable so they can under control their costs. I think that's a big thing that we're seeing. It's give us what you think is true. Um, you know, work with us on a forecast. And we understand, especially for Wayfair, that um, consumer demand is going to play a huge role in what we're importing. But if you could really break down that barrier of communication and be honest with each other, gain that trust, there's a lot of value to it. And that's what we're seeing on the vendor side. Mm-hmm. Another trend that, that we're seeing coming out of the pandemic because of the risk to the supply chains, so the risk of long transit times, if nothing else, from, from Asia is both nearshoring, coming back to North America, whether it be Mexico or maybe South America, and uh, reshoring, which is coming back into the USA for, for manufacturing production of whatever goods, right? Uh, is that a trend that, that you're seeing out in the landscape when it comes to, uh, you know, 
are other retailers and, and, and manufacturers um, out there. Is that is that something that, you know, what are your thoughts, I guess, on on that trend? Yeah, it's it's um, it's a hot topic whenever we're at conferences or we're interacting with BCOs and NBOs. It's, it's kind of where do we see the future? Um, we can't just be concerned about 2024. We have to be concerned about 2025, 2026, 2030. Um, we do, I think you've seen a lot of textiles obviously go into Central America. Um, we did see some diversification in Asia where it was Malaysia and Vietnam um, with consumer goods that we sell on our website. I, I personally can say I do believe that as transit go as transit increase, um, the cost increase, you're seeing, um, I, I would say wages in Asia increase where it doesn't really make sense once you bundle it all up, you may get the same cost advantage in um, other parts of the Western Hemisphere. So short answer, yes, I do think some will come back to um, the Western Hemisphere, uh, North America, Central America, South America, if possible. Um, but you're still going to have certain products that it just makes sense for it to be um, produced in Asia. And, you know, whether it's uh, moving the yeah. the lumber over to Asia, they produce the goods and it comes back. I mean, it, it's just, it's always going to come down to price, unfortunately. And the consumer is kind of the one that dictates how we should, um, I shouldn't say they dictate, but they have a large say in how we should um, mm-hmm. uh, prepare our um, suppliers. Yeah, buying habits are, are definitely, and it's a long process, yeah. right? You, you just don't pull out of Asia and move to, to South America or back to the U.S. Uh, overnight. Yeah. So it's a long process. And, you know, I have a feeling, personally, humans have very short memories. And I'm yes, thinking by the time 25, 26, 27, the pandemic and all the chaos and supply chains will be in the distant ancient past that no one can hardly remember anymore. And uh, investors will be clamoring at companies to, to run lean, run lean, run efficiently, yes. source from Asia, and we'll go kind of cycle back right to where we're at until the next shot. I, I do think it's true. I know I could say I, I do believe a lot of C-suites now understand what drainage is. They understand what a container is. They know what premium yeah. is. So I, if anything good came out of the pandemic and what we've experienced lately, I mean, it is, I think, the education of supply chain and transportation. Um, it's been brought to the forefront. Um, I think a lot of companies now are really using that to their advantage. If you have a very, if you have a, I don't want to say complex supply chain, but if you have a supply chain that is, while oil maintained, you have good individuals behind the scenes operating, you have the connections, the C-suite will continue to push that. I mean, it's, I, I do agree. I think people have a short memory. However, I, this may this may have le- um, left a lasting uh, imprint on a lot of people's minds. So I hope people don't go back to their old habits. And if they do, I hope they're uh, our competitors. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think there is, is there's room for a very lean, well-oiled supply chain with a little bit of robustness in there. A little bit of redundancies to, uh, as you might call a margin of error, because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And if you just leave a little bit of margin of error in in your supply chain, then you can take advantages of when when things are disrupted, which they, they happen. Not maybe not as severely as the pandemic, but that they do happen. Yep, and that's I mean we we see that too. That's where we did invest some of our own assets. We procured our own chassis. Um, you know that was one thing that we didn't want to spend too much capital on, but we did see the value of um, you know once again controlling our own destiny. When the container hits um, New York, it hits Savannah, wherever it is, we want to make sure that we have a chassis for that container to get on. 
And then we could get into our fulfillment center. So we are investing in um, areas that make sense that we're not going to really expose ourselves to uh, any margin loss um, that also produces a better customer um, experience. And I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head right there. And that's the moral of the, the story and the interview is, is controlling your own destiny. Now, however you yes, run, you can run as lean as you want to. You can run uh, as redundant as you want to. But as long as you're controlling your own destiny, you are in a position to create a competitive advantage with your supply chain. If you don't control your own destiny, then there's no way in the world, there's, there's no chance that you are, your supply chain is going to be a competitive advantage. Um, no way. Yeah. It starts with communication, as you stated earlier. I mean, you, you really need to know how to communicate with your suppliers and vendors. So definitely. Do. Well, Jack, yeah, Jack, thanks for uh, dropping by. I put that coffee down here on Global Supply Chain Week and um, all the best to you and Wayfair and have a great 2023. Great. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. You bet. bet. That's Jack Echeverria from Wayfair talking about the, the pandemic and lessons learned. Uh, we have a great afternoon coming up here on Global Supply Chain Week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about global supply chain risks with Eric Coolidge and also put that coffee down. You can download it on Freightcast or put that coffee down wherever you download your podcast. This wraps it for this episode. See you next week. I got friends only want to talk business. I got expensive because when is expensive. I got expensive because when is expensive. I've been reading out of work. I've been shutting down the stars. Just, uh,